0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Please turn to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on the high. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of this little passage, these three verses, that you spoke long ago and many times and in many ways, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son. And we just pray, Lord, that we would not ignore his voice this morning. We pray, Lord, that his amazing, exalted voice would ring loud and clear, and that we'd respond. Lord, this book, this book of Hebrews, does not allow us to just say, oh, there's some neat stuff, and just move on with our lives. It arrests us. It causes us to see Jesus clearly. And we just pray, Lord, that you would have your full effect that you intend with your word this morning. As JC was talking about, your word does not return void, and we pray, Lord, that it would accomplish far more abundantly and more amazingly than we could ever pray or hope. We pray that you would do that. Lord, your kids are here assembled, we your children, to hear from you. And we just pray, Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're starting this uh, book of Hebrews, and uh, I love the book of Hebrews. I remember the first time I read it. It was actually uh, sometime in the like, early to mid-90s, I was in my 20s. I was out at uh, Anza Borrego by a campfire in a sleeping bag, and I was just thumbing through. You know, I had, I'd been a Christian just a few years, didn't know a lot about the Bible. I was just thumbing through, and I was like, what is this Hebrews thing? And as I started to read it, I was just amazed. I was intrigued. It's a book that's so mysterious and dramatic, you know, um, even from its opening, And it opened up my eyes to just a mysterious world. It was the mysterious world of the Old Testament, something I really wasn't familiar with. I keep hearing about this person named Melchizedek I'd never heard of. It showed me how the Bible, why our Bibles aren't just a New Testament, but have the Old Testament attached. I mean, have you ever looked at the, the size of these things? So this is my Old Testament, and that's my New Testament. You think like, okay, well, it'd be a little more convenient just to walk around with this part, right? You know, and this has actually got a concordance in it too, so it's a very, very small piece. Why is this here? Why is this attached? What does this have to do with this? And the book of Hebrews answers that for us. book of Hebrews is a book of both wonder and warnings. It shows you the wonder of who Jesus is, and then it fires off these warnings as well. And it goes wonder and warnings. It's got these terrifying warnings that, that demand my attention. And it, it presents such a captivating picture of Jesus, doesn't it? captivating picture of Jesus. And I'll just tell you guys, this book of Hebrews, I'm hooked. I've been hooked on it for, you know, at least 30 years now, and I think that you're going to be hooked too. It's just amazing. Book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians in the Roman Empire about 30 years after Jesus's life. It was a letter to new believers. They had begun to experience some persecution in following Jesus, and there was a real temptation for them to return to Judaism, You know, Judaism in that time was a religion that was recognized by the Roman Empire, and so they didn't persecute it. And uh, the Christians didn't have that privilege. So for a new Jewish convert to Christianity, there was kind of this really simple solution to persecution. Why don't we just go back? Why don't we just go back to Judaism? Why don't we just return? It's basically the same thing, right? It seems to have a lot of the same cast of characters, the same books. You know, maybe if we just return... We just return to the faith of our fathers, to the covenant, to the temple, to the priests, to the sacrifices. Maybe we've just taken this Jesus thing just a little too seriously. Maybe that's what this persecution means, you know? We look to people around us to know if we're doing something wrong or something weird. And persecution has that effect of making you think, like, maybe I've taken this too far. Maybe my community is telling me something. Do you see how tempting that would be? you see how tempting it would be to return? But the writer of Hebrews shows them that those Old Testament things were just a shadow of the real thing, which is Jesus. Now that Jesus had come with a better covenant, he'd he'd come to be the better temple, to be the better priest, to be the better sacrifice, there was nothing to return to in Judaism. Even more importantly, if they were to return to Judaism, they'd be turning their backs on Jesus. This book's practical to us, too. You say, well, that's interesting, but I don't see how that relates to us. Guys, we too live in a time where the temptation to drift away from Jesus is strong. I don't know if you feel it, those of you guys who have been Christians for a while, the temptation to fall away from Jesus right now is very strong. And it's very strong for lots of reasons. One of them is is that for several hundred years, our culture in the West has been very strange. It's been very strange in the sense that it has actually encouraged us to follow Jesus. Okay, And we thought that was normal. We thought it was normal for the whole culture to go, yay, follow Jesus, that's great, right? That's not normal. If we look at the history of Christianity before that, the natural state of Christians is to live in cultures that are hostile to them. We lived in a culture that was not hostile, where it was much easier to follow Jesus. But for the last several years, that protective bubble has begun to pop, and our culture has become increasingly corrosive to faith in Jesus Christ guys have seen it? You guys have seen friends of yours, family members of yours that have fallen away? It looks increasingly evil and foolish to follow Jesus. Our culture actually increasingly sees what we're doing as foolish or even evil. We've had all kinds of problems, you know, church leaders that have failed morally. Lots of you have had pastors that have failed in huge ways morally. We've seen lots of high-profile deconversions There's this whole industry of it on YouTube. You can go and see some person that was a Christian before, and they can tell you why they walked away from Jesus. Our teaching on sexuality looks really unloving to the culture. Some of that's our fault. Some of it's just the normal offensiveness of the Bible. Our claim that Jesus is the only way seems narrow-minded. Guys, there's a lot of pressure to just back away from the church, back away from any public identification with Jesus and his people. Do you feel it? The pandemic made it easier, right? Pandemic was a couple of years where people could just slip away silently and have a really good reason, right? Maybe, you know, maybe I could just find some sort of private, personal relationship with God and just avoid all the pressures of identifying with his people, right? Maybe we've taken this Jesus thing a little too seriously. There's that vibe right now. I think you feel it. And guys, it's always been easy, too, to drift away from Jesus, hasn't it? Do you feel it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you guys feel that? Right? I drift away every single week. Do you drift away every week? Do you drift away in some sense every day? God gave us the book of Hebrews to bind our wandering hearts to him. And this book that the Lord gave us to keep us from drifting is so beautifully written. It's beautifully written in its words and its composition and the way it draws the Old Testament and the New Testament together. It's beautiful in the pastoral way. It both gives us the wonder of Jesus and then gives us warnings and then gives us wonder and warnings. It's a beautiful book. Guys, this beautiful book is really beautiful because it's a book about Jesus which is what this book is about. It's about Jesus. It's about how he's better than anything we'd be tempted to leave him for, and it's about how dangerous it would be to do that. We can't go back. We can't go back. We can't go back because Jesus is God's final word. Take a look at verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. I love this first part because God is a speaking God, isn't he? He's a speaking God. Sometimes we act like he isn't. You know, we say, well, I believe, but he just really hasn't shown himself, you know. I believe if he weren't so silent. But he isn't silent. God's a speaking God. God speaks through creation. You guys realize that? Even apart from the word, God speaks through creation. He's speaking to us constantly in the world he's made. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Their voice, speaking of creation, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. You know, you might complain, you know, why doesn't God ever talk to me? Why doesn't he ever call me? Why doesn't he ever call out to me? He's calling out to you guys constantly. He's calling out to me constantly. It might be that we kind of have our souls on do not disturb mode, right? (laughs) You know about that with your phone? You know, he's calling out all the time. He called out to you in that sunset you saw. He called out to you in that amazing meal you had with friends. He called out to you in that great glass of wine. He called out to you in this super bloom, which we don't even see anymore, which is insanely amazing, and we forgot it was there. Right, he calls out to you in that perfect spring day, in that birth of a baby, in that perfect song where you're like, "Oh, that song is so good." And in that afternoon nap, guys, he speaks. God speaks. He speaks through creation. He doesn't only speak through creation outside of us. He speaks in our heads. You guys realize this? He actually speaks in our heads as well. He speaks through conscience. Romans two fifteen says this: "They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, as every human being, while their conscience also bears witness." God is speaking. He speaks in the world. He speaks in our heads. He speaks through his word. Look at verse one again. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It says God spoke at many times and in many ways. Think about the variety of God's speech. It's amazing. God spoke to Adam in the cool of the day. He spoke to Jacob in a dream. He spoke to Moses face to face. He spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. He spoke to Ezekiel in these bizarre visions. God spoke. Think of all the ways he spoke in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes we're picky. You're like, well, I'm not really into poetry. Well, that's fine. There's plenty of other ways. Well, I'm not really into histories either, you know? Like, God spoke through histories, through laws, through songs, through love poetry, through prophecies, through apocalyptic literature, through construction memoir of Nehemiah. I mean, he speaks in all sorts of different ways, at many times and in many ways. God's a speaking God. He's always speaking. The question is whether we're listening or whether we have him on Do Not Disturb. He's speaking, right? But now he's spoken in a whole new way. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. All of God's communication throughout the Old Testament was building to this great moment when he would appear and he would speak through his own Son. And and there's a beautiful picture of this in the life of Jesus. You guys remember the the Mount of Transfiguration? Uh, Mark 9 Jesus took Peter and John and James up on the mountain, and it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. That somehow he allowed his glory to leak out. Like he opened a window into like, this is who I am. That they were able to see some of his glory. And it says, he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, like no one on earth could bleach them. And then there appeared next to him Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's, let's make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. <laughs> okay, so he's like, oh, I get it. Moses, prophet of God, like important revelation, and then there's Elijah, next stage. And then Jesus, just the third stage. This all makes sense. It's also symmetrical. What does God say? A cloud overshadowed them and the voice came from the cloud and it said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and there was no one there but Jesus only. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is not just the latest in a line of prophets. The whole Old Testament is like a ring of gold with prongs holding up Jesus, the diamond, the, the final word from God. Jesus is God's Mic drop, right? The rest of the New Testament is just really unpacking what the apostles heard from him and saw in him. Jesus is God's great and final word. Now, side note, you guys might want to respond to some of this, okay? And I know our church, it's hard to know how to respond. But you might want to respond to some of this. This passage, you heard it read. You know, you might want to say amen. (laughs) Okay? And that would be okay. And I know that isn't, like, greatly rewarded here or encouraged. But you could say amen. So let's say amen. Okay, and then there's variations on amen, right? There's amen. <laughs> yeah, there's that one, right? You got, it's got any others? You got amen, amen, glory. glory, okay? I'll tell you what I do, very Anglo. Um, if I'm going to respond, you might not even hear it. I'll go, mm, <laughs> right? mmm. you could do that, okay? But I really do think that as we read this passage, some sort of response is needed. And I just worry for you, if you were to hold this in, that it might damage you. Okay? That you might undergo some sort of harm. So feel free. You could amen. You could glory. You could go amen. You could go amen. You can do whatever you want, right? You could, mm, whatever. You guys got any other responses? We're new to all this, so help us. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Preach. All right. The only one that's tough is when people say "say it again," and I'm like, "Ooh, don't know if I can do that." Okay, so you can say that, but I'm going to take it as like an amen. So, all right. So. So Jesus comes as God's final word, and the cool thing, guys, is that when Jesus came as God's final word, He really did seem like God's final word. Have you read His words? Have you seen? Have you read the Gospels and seen the kinds of words He had? No one ever spoke like this man. You know, Uh, there's plenty of eloquent people in Scripture. There's plenty of people that when they spoke, you're amazed because it's all God's Word. But when Jesus talks, you're like, wait a minute, this is something different, right? No one ever spoke like this man. He always had the best lines, didn't he? And you're like, oh, he's got the best lines. And, And the thing with Jesus is you never can think of the thing Jesus ought to have said. You're like, that was good, but if you would have done it this way, there's never that case, right? His parables are amazing. His, His wisdom is amazing. His words are so convicting and then yet so comforting. His words read people's minds. His words read the future. His words raised lepers. His words raised the dead. There's no doubt, guys, that this was God speaking to us by his son. When the original Jewish Christians heard this, they immediately knew they can't go back. You can't go back. If this is God's final word, you can't go back. We can't go back to Judaism. What would we go back to? I mean, our whole history as a people was to give birth to this son. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. To leave Jesus and go to Judaism would be like leaving the gift and playing with the wrapping paper. There's no way back. Now, if Jesus is God's final word, what kind of word is he? And I want to give you five things from this text of what kind of word Jesus is from God to you. Jesus is God's word to you, a provision. Look at verse 2. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is God's word of provision to you. He is the owner and creator of everything. Jesus is the one who actually spoke the world into existence. Okay? He said, let it be, and there was. You know, Jesus' words spoke worlds into existence right the syllables of his mouth caused solar systems to swirl out into existence i mean imagine him at the creation of the world as he speaks you've got helium atoms and hedgehogs and the horse head nebula come out of his mouth and those are just some of the h things okay but as he's speaking this all came into existence it's amazing right Jesus is the owner and creator of everything. Guys, he can provide for your needs. The original readers were losing a lot to follow Jesus. Chapter 10 says that they lost their property. They were being plundered. You know, officials would come and take their stuff. And it'd be very tempting to go back to Judaism just to stop losing your stuff, right? Just to stop losing your stuff. Sometimes faithfulness to Jesus means losing out on the wealth of the world, right? And where could they turn, though? Where could they turn for provision other than Jesus, the owner and creator of everything? Guys, Jesus is Jehovah-Jireh. He is the Lord provides. You guys remember the fish and the loaves? You guys remember the water turned to wine? Jesus isn't just wealthy. He makes things with his voice. He makes things out of nothing. Where else would we turn for provision but Jesus. Jesus is also God's word about himself. Take a look at verse 3. He is the radiance, is speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is God's word about himself. It's his word of who he really is. It says in verse 3 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And there's actually a cool illustration here, just in that wording, of the relationship between the Father and the Son. The relationship between the Father and Christ is like the Son, the Father, and the rays radiating out from the Son coming to us is Christ. That he's like the rays, he's the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, The Father being like the burning sun, and Christ being those rays that shine out to us. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The relationship between the Father and Son of Christ being the radiance of the Father is an eternal relationship. It's always been going on. Just like you can't have the sun without its rays, and you can't have rays without the sun, the Father has always radiated His glory through Christ. Isn't that amazing? And just like you know, the rays are the way that you actually see the sun. the way that we see the Father is by seeing His glory in Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's also, it says, the exact imprint of his nature. This is a cool image. So this is in uh, ancient times. People would have a ring with a little image on it, a little signet. And they put some wax on a letter and they would press it. And what he's saying here is that Jesus is the exact imprint, like you would press that seal, of God's nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. When you see Jesus, you're seeing God's very nature. Remember what he said to Philip, John 14? Philip said, this is so great. So Philip's like cruising with him for three years, and and he's like, just do this for us, okay? Check this out. Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. (laughs) I just want one little thing. Just show me God, and we're good, okay? And Jesus says this to him. He says, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Like, how intense is that? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Guys, when you see Jesus in the Gospels, you're seeing exactly what God is like. And I think this is really important for us because sometimes we think, okay, Jesus, I get it. That's God's friendly side. That's God's more, like, attractive side. That's more his more approachable side. That's not true. This text says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. There is no God in heaven that is different than Jesus. Okay, He is the exact imprint of the Father. God the Father is is exactly represented in who Jesus was. So if you want God, there's nowhere else to go but to Jesus. And the original readers of this would know from this that they can't return to Judaism. That would be returning to an empty temple. God's not there veil was torn, God left the building. He now dwells in his people. He has been manifest in Christ. We must find him in Jesus Christ. And guys, there's a real temptation right now for people to just completely deconstruct their faith. Now, there is a thing of deconstruction, like you believe a lot of stupid, foolish things that aren't in the Bible. Feel free to deconstruct those, okay? (laughs) You're operating in the world in a way that is super destructive to the cause of Christ because of you, please deconstruct that as well. But what some people are doing is they're completely deconstructing their faith and walking away from the real Jesus, the Jesus in this book. Because the biblical Christianity seems too, like, confining in our culture. It seems too severe. It seems too dogmatic. And so what people do is they still have that God-shaped hole, and so they turn to something like being spiritual but not religious, you know, I've kind of just taken a different path. I kind of deal with God in a little bit vaguer way with less demands and less hard edges and less commands and less dogmatic things I might have to say as his representative, right? They reimagine Jesus as, as like a really supportive self-help hippie. You know, he's just this really supportive self-help hippie. He's like the Jesus bobblehead with the thumbs up. You've seen it? that's smiling at you and doing this. Then no matter what you do, there he is. He's doing this, right? That's what people do. Here's the thing, though. You won't find God there. If you're going to do that, do that. But don't think you're going to find God there. You won't find God there. The only place you're going to find God is in Jesus. The historical, real Jesus in this book, the one that's been worshipped for 2,000 years by the church. That's the real Jesus, and that's where God is, because he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is also a word of providence. Take a look at verse 3. It says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. not amazing? Jesus, even now, even this very moment, is upholding the world by the word of his power. That everything, including your own body, is being actively kept in existence by Jesus' words. We think all this needs to exist. It doesn't. It's being actively kept together by Jesus' words. God is the only one that needs to exist. He's the only one that can't stop existing. God is actually upholding everything by the word of his power. And and don't think of it as like the kind of mythological atlas, you know, is the titan that was forced to like hold the earth up forever as his punishment, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. This word here for uphold isn't a static word. It's a dynamic word. He's not just holding it up in one place. He's carrying it along to its appointed end. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. The theological term for this is his providence. That Jesus, even right now, is like the captain of this great ship, this world, and he's steering it in the direction of the perfect harbor in his kingdom to come. Like he's steering this ship, this world, towards the perfect harbor in his kingdom to come. And there's going to be super rough seas. We've had them, right? Right? There's going to be more. But we can remember that Jesus is at the helm, right? And if Jesus is at the helm and he is steering the ship, then we can rest below deck. He will steer us into that perfect harbor. Guys, when you come to Jesus, you're coming to the one who guides providence with his powerful words. And what the original hearers would hear in this, and what you should hear is, who else would you turn to for security besides the one who upholds all things with the word of his power? Right? You're not finding security anywhere else than that. Guys, it's either Christ and his rule, or this world is as out of control and chaotic and meaningless as it looks. Those are the two options, right? And he upholds all things with the word of his power. Jesus is God's word of forgiveness. Take a look at verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down. I mentioned earlier that God is speaking to everyone in creation. He speaks to us in our minds, through our conscience. Every human being, guys, without exception, doesn't matter how religious or religious they are, every human being has been made in the image of God to reflect God's goodness. And because every human being has been made a covenant creature, we've all been made a covenant creature. We're all creatures made for covenant with God, made with relationship with God. And because of that, every single human being has a relationship with God not necessarily a good one, okay? You can be his child, you can be his enemy, but everyone has some sort of relationship with God. And he speaks to them. He speaks to all of us. He speaks to us and calls us to himself. He speaks to us in our conscience. You know, there's no other really good explanation for the conscience, because there's this thing in you that's not you that tells you when you're in the wrong when you don't want it to. It's not you, it's something else in you saying that was wrong, that was jacked up, and you're like, hey, just be quiet, and it won't. What is that? It's God speaking, and our conscience speaks to us loud and clear. It speaks to us and tells us we need cleansing, that sin has created a stain, but it's a moral stain, and our conscience sees it, and our conscience is bothered by this moral stain we have. Have you guys ever seen those charts for your house of like different household stains and how to remove them? You guys seen those? And it's all vinegar and Dawn soap, right? It's like every single thing. It's like, what do I need this chart for? (laughs) Guys, let me ask you this. What removes a moral stain? You know? Like, what removes a moral stain? Because it's a different kind of stain, right? You can't just rub it off. It's, It's like the stain in Macbeth. You know, you wash your hands, wash your hands. You can't wash it off, right? What removes it? What was God's answer throughout the Old Testament of what removes moral stains? Blood. Isn't that interesting on that chart? Like vinegar, dawn, moral stain, blood. (laughs) Like blood removes moral stains. God testified throughout the Old Testament that moral stains would be removed by the blood of a substitute. So he gave the Jews the temple and the priests and the sacrifices to show them how they would receive forgiveness through him through a substitute's blood. Now those animal sacrifices, they didn't remove sin, but they did point forward to the one who would, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, right? And those people in the Old Testament, they were saved not by the animal sacrifices, but by looking forward to the great lamb of God who would come. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're just somebody that's here with us listening, you might think that sounds super strange. Like, guys, you don't know how strange that sounds. 21st century, you're talking about animal sacrifices and blood-removing guilt. But let me ask you this. How do modern people remove their guilt and their stain? We all feel it. Let me just ask you guys. How do modern people try to remove the moral stain, the stain in their conscience? How do they try to remove their guilt? By doing good. So I know what I'll do. I'll just put more stuff on top of it. Right? And it seems like it would work but your conscience is still like, oh, but that was really jacked up, you know, and I don't know if this makes up for it. What else do people do? Distraction. Distraction Distraction is great, you know, like I feel bad, let's watch some Netflix. Let's watch more Netflix, you know, let's watch some more YouTube. Let's just try to like cover this thing over. What else? Yeah, you could blame other people. You could be like, you know, and that's a lot of our bitterness. Like, you know, I did something jacked up to them, but, you know, they were pretty jacked up too, you know. Like, maybe it's their fault more. What else? Delve into sin more. Yeah. Something like, I might as well just keep going. I might as well go fully in. Maybe somehow that'll make me feel better. You know, some people are like, time. Time heals all wounds. (laughs) You know, even the ones in my conscience. They don't, though, right? None of this stuff works, guys. I think there's some things behind people's strict food laws. It's weird how that's come back. You know, severe discipline of the body, having some time to forget. Feeling superior to others helps. You know, like I am a scumbag, but man, look at all the other scumbags that are worse than me. Right? That's a really common thing. That's what's behind all that judgmentalism is I have a stain. I want to fix it. You guys see how none of this would help? You know, a modern person's like, oh, that's so silly, the blood thing. And it's like, well, what do you got? And well, I do, you know, YouTube uh, try to judge other people, and you're like, okay, well, that's not better than what I have, okay? And, um, and the thing is, is that those animal sacrifices didn't take away sin either, but they pointed forward to the one who would. Take a look at Hebrews 10, 11. It's so beautiful. So this is, the, this is the life of a priest in the Old Testament. Hebrews 10, 11. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Does that sound like your Monday? Like that just sounds so hopeless, right? <laughs> Every priest stands, no fun to stand all day. They stand all day repeatedly offering the same sacrifice that can never take away sin, right? Which is what makes verse 3 so beautiful. Look at it again. After making purification for sin, Jesus what? He sat down. Jesus offered his own blood for our sin in the true Holy of Holies. And then he did something no priest has ever done before. He sat down. He sat down. He sat down because he was done. You know, when we get to uh, Hebrews 9, it's really neat because it describes what all was in the temple, and it's all very wonderful. And there's a, a lot of furniture in there there's a lampstand, there's a table, there's an altar, there's an ark. You know what furniture is not in the temple? There's no chair. <laughs> There's no chair because the priest never sat down and the priest never sat down because they were never done taking care of the purification of sins. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, was raised, ascended 40 days later, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high completed it hebrews 10 says this way and every priest stands daily at service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin but when jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin he sat down at the right hand of god for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified not beautiful you can see what the original recipients of, of this letter would think of Judaism at this point. They'd be like, only Jesus can remove my sin. I can't go back. Guys, it's actually a super compelling reason to keep following Jesus. Is it only he can remove your sin? Only he can cleanse your conscience. Only he can forgive you. It's a super compelling reason to follow him, no matter what. I love the scene in John 6. Remember John 6? So Jesus says, he, he does his teaching to a bunch of Jews. He says, If you want to be saved, you need to, like, start eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It didn't go well, okay? Everybody just started leaving. Everybody's taking off. Everybody's like, this is not okay, okay? I don't care what you do that's amazing. This is creepy, right? And Jesus asked the disciples, some of them, he's turned to him and he says, do you want to go away too? You know what their answer probably was? Kind of, (laughs) right? But what did they say? Lord. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Isn't that beautiful? I I can't tell you how many times that verse has been helpful to me that no matter how much confusion and how much doubt I've had following Jesus, the fact remains there's nowhere else to go. He has the words of eternal life, right? He has the words of forgiveness. The fact is I sin every single day and every single day my conscience needs to be purified. Every single day I need it cleansed. Every single day I need forgiveness. And he has the words of eternal life. Where else could I go, right? Where else could I go? Where else could I go to be loved like Jesus loves me? The real me, the sinning everyday me. There's nowhere else to go. Jesus is God's word of forgiveness. Lastly, Jesus is God's word of a king. This is so beautiful. So Jesus is God's word of a king. Look at verse three. So after he made purification for sins, he sat down. Look where he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so this is a very impressive chair. In ancient world, to sit down at the right hand of a king was to have all the king's authority. So the son has all the authority of the father. Jesus is the king. He's the king of everything. And what's so fun about Jesus is like, it's so obvious that Jesus should be king. you ever thought about this? Think about Jesus' life. You know, Jesus was the most humble person who ever claimed to be king of the world. Think about that. It's funny, too, just so you know. Jesus is the most humble person who ever claimed to be king of the world. When anybody else claimed to be king of the world, it was either scary or funny, but when Jesus goes, and he did it a lot, when he talks about his parables and all that, and talks about the parables of the kingdom, he claimed to be king of the world all the time. Every time Jesus does it, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then you're like, I feel like you should go for more. You know what I mean? Don't you feel like that? He's like, I'm king of the world. And you're like, well, yeah, obviously. But I think if you applied yourself, you could have more than that. You know, like, you seem worthy of more. Like, we know he's the king, Right. He is the king of the world. And, and you might not be aware that you need a king this morning. Like you're aware you need a savior. You might not be aware of it. You might not know how much you need Jesus to be king, even though you know you need Jesus to be savior. But it's one role. He's a savior king, right? Because here's the deal. The fact is, is you're going to be ruled by something. Okay, once again, you were made a covenant creature. You were made with a throne in your heart that was made for Christ. And if Christ is not reigning on that throne, someone or something else will, and it will not be you. It will not be you. You have a throne in your heart made for Christ. Something or someone else will sit on it. It will not be you. Because I know you're thinking like, oh, you know, I'll sit there. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Everyone's ruled by something. And whatever that something is, if it isn't Jesus, it's going to grind you into the ground. You guys know that, right? It's going to be like Pharaoh. It's going to grind you into the ground. And it's actually not hard to tell what rules people when you really know them. It's really not hard to tell what's on the throne. It's not hard for us to tell. might be money. If it's money, you're always going to feel like you don't have enough. You're always going to feel like you need more, right? If it's your looks, you're always going to feel like you don't measure up. You're always going to feel ugly. If it's your romantic love, if that's what rules your heart, you're always going to feel lonely and empty no matter what kind of relationship you have. It might be your intelligence, and you're always going to feel like an imposter, right? It might be your success, either with your kids or with your work, and you're always going to feel like a failure. Anyone diagnose theirs? You guys are like, I know what it is. So that first thing you thought of was the thing. The thing you tried to come up with later that might have been easier to deal with was not the thing, okay? (laughs) It was the first thing you thought of was the thing. Guys, don't you see you need Jesus to rule your heart? You need Jesus to be your king. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be something else. And whatever that something else is, is going to be a tyrant and it will grind you into the ground. Jesus is your savior king. Listen to the way he, this king talks. He says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's the savior king. That's Jesus' the savior king. Guys, he will save you, and for those of you who trust him, he has saved you, both from the penalty of your sin and the tyranny of it. Both the penalty of sin and the tyranny of it. Guys, Jesus is God's final word. He's his word of provision. He's his word about himself. He's his word of providence. He's his word of forgiveness, and he's his word of a king. As everything you need, it can be found in Jesus. He's better. He's the best. Don't drift from him. Hold fast to him. Let's pray. Father, we don't get to pick who the actual God of the universe is. And yet, we couldn't pick anyone better. Lord, we're so thankful that the God that exists, the God who calls us to himself, you, our God, are such a wonderful God. Father, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you have chosen us for yourself before the foundation of the world that you have sent forth your Son to be not just your final word, but to be our Savior and King. We thank you, Father, that you've adopted us as your kids at great cost to yourself. We thank you for that love that you've had for us that's been from all eternity. We'd be lost without you. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you for your coming and love to live the life we absolutely should have lived and dying in our place, a death that only we deserved that you took and that you were raised victoriously, that you are reigning in heaven now on your throne and that you will return to make all things new. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for, for the beauty of who you are and that you would have us, that you would desire us to be your people. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've opened our eyes to love God, to love the Father and the Son, that that's something that you did in us, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no interest in God, and yet you opened our eyes to you, to your goodness. So Spirit, we thank you for that. We thank you for those this morning that you've even opened their eyes this morning, that they've seen Jesus in a whole new way. We thank you for that we pray lord transform us by what we see lord we know that it's your work spirit to transform us from one degree of glory to another as we behold jesus and so we pray as we're in the book of hebrews that you would fix the eyes of our hearts on christ and that we would be transformed by what we see we love you give us the strength and the joy and the zeal to now worship you with our whole hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.